Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and Jim Dwyer, I guess, is going to be joining us shortly. Uh, didn't hear from him, but that's that's okay. Uh, we'll uh, carry on. I'm sure he's, uh, well, like all Americans, just mourning the passing of Tammy Faye. Uh we don't mean to uh, wallow in schadenfreude here down on Gray Matters, but the passing of Tammy Faye, I think, does deserve commentary. And perhaps a tear, perhaps a giggle. I'm sure all the CBNers joined millions of Americans this weekend by putting on fake eyelashes, lots of mascara, uh, dancing around the living room to RuPaul. <laughs> well... Actually, uh, listening to the speeches of Ron Paul and, <laughs> and uh, viewing videos by Ron Jeremy, Cree, crying, weeping. Um, Tammy Faye was one of the biggest fakes in American history. That's all we can say about her. Actually, um, a couple of weeks ago on Robot Pasta, we played uh, a, a song by her and then the puppets. The singing puppet? No, not the singing oh. puppet one. That's Little Marcy. But uh, one of Ma Tammy Faye's many records, um, all of which are terrible. And uh, we feel like we played some sound effects over it, and somebody phoned up to say, well, Tammy Faye wasn't really that bad of a person. And No, she wasn't a bad person. But <laughs> she was a phony. <laughs> she was a big phony. And, uh, of course, an instrumental tool in uh, her husband's financial empire, Built on fraud. Yeah. They came collapsing down, and I think that it's fascinating uh, when you hear the post-mortem of her life. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she's uh, been buried with a couple of her her dolls with the heavy uh, eyelashes and the weeping dolls and the like. But, uh, yeah, the fraud, She they got their start, interestingly, courtesy of Pat Robertson. Yep. One of the other biggest frauds. Uh, in American history, and of course, when the PTL uh, organization collapsed, praise the Lord, Club. praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, it's it's amazing. It says in uh, 1989, Mr. Baker, Tammy Faye's uh, first husband, was convicted of federal charges that he had bilked followers of 158 million dollars by offering lifetime vacations at Heritage USA while knowing that he could not provide them. And that he had diverted about $3.7 million to support his opulent lifestyle. Of course, the PTL uh, organization was eventually used exclusively to raise money for the Baker Enterprise. So, yeah, it's just an amazing story of um, the vulnerability of many Americans to give money to charlatans, Heritage USA, and that's not a rock group. <laughs> Far from it. Well, and as you mentioned, Pat Robertson is uh, a largely uninvestigated fraud. I mean, that man has used tax-exempt donations from the naive, the gullible, the foolish in this country, many of whom are elderly and who are afraid of damnation or whatever. And what's Pat Robertson done with these? Uh, in addition to you know running for president uh, as a Republican back in 88, uh, he owns diamond mines in Zaire. <laughs> and uh, 
a whole uh, empire, a financial empire uh, that's established on the bilking of people. So, And, of course, the tax-exempt status as yeah. being a, quote, religious organization. It's been fascinating, by the way, to learn from uh, the continuing Justice Department scandal about uh, who uh, you know was fired, who was replaced, and whatnot. The role of Regent University and Liberty University that's mm-hmm. connected to Falwell in terms of the Justice Department supplying our American government's Justice Department uh, workers. It's incredible. And, of course, the downfall of Jim Baker um, is just laughable because I think that it heralded uh, you know, almost a decade's worth of conservative Republicans um, up playing family values and their propinquity to God and their morality. Uh, the list is endless. Jimmy Swaggart. Um, what was the name of the, the ha- Haggart or, or Tim Haggart? The well, there there was the congressman. There was the when the gay scandal. There's the, there's a new guy, the David Vitter from Louisiana. There you go. Oral Roberts too had his temptations. Temptations with the devil. The devil in the form of a hooker. <laughs> it's hilarious. Jimmy Swaggart was implicated with a hooker and. Uh, it, the list goes on and on. It's fascinating. Newt Gingrich, Bob Livingston, um, Tim Hutchison, senator from uh, Minnesota. Many of these people voted for the impeachment of President Clinton. It's uh, a remarkable story. So uh, The uh, artificial eyelash industry is uh, taking off one lash today in morning. Indeed. And... Uh, what a tragedy that Tammy Bay only collected. Uh, Tammy Faye only collected Social Security for about four months. <laughs> she passed away at the age of sixty-five, and uh, well, well, we'll we'll give her the benefit of of one interesting highlight of her career. In the official obituary in today's New York Times, Anita Gates writes: "Gay men came to embrace." Ms. Mesner, that's her uh, second husband's name, who interestingly, by the way, was sentenced to 27 months in federal prison for bankruptcy fraud in 1996, which I'm sure (laughs) evoked more tears from Tammy Faye. Um, Anita Anita Gates writes, gay men came to embrace Ms. Mesner as a camp figure, Tammy Faye, making her the subject of gender-bending look-alike contests. She embraced them all. (laughs) She began attending gay pride events, and in 1996, she became the co-host of a syndicated television talk show with Jim Bullock, an openly gay actor. Quote, I refuse to label people, Ms. Mesner said in a 2000 documentary, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, when asked about her attitudes towards gay rights. Quote, we're all just made out of the same old dirt, and God didn't make any junk. 
And that is actually a very nice uh, thing yeah. for her to have said, uh, considering how much hate and vitriol there is in the religious right against homosexuals, against anybody who has a different outlook than a Bible-thumping one. So as easy as it is to make fun of Tammy Faye, and as much as she deserves some of that abuse, um, it is worth acknowledging this uh, late conversion to a, a much more tolerant uh, approach. So we end on a positive yeah. note. Pra- praise the Lord. <laughs> but on a similar related note, we can talk about one of my favorite pieces of graffiti ever. Back when I first moved to Ann Arbor, back in the mid-80s, The Rock, which is over there on uh, Hill Street and uh, Washington. Washington. Yeah. Uh, often painted with frat house messages or little hellos to uh, people. <clears throat> Reagan was briefly hospitalized uh, for some a colon cancer scare, and somebody had the wit to spray paint the following message on the rock, one that we've quoted frequently down here on Gray Matters. The message said, remove Reagan, not polyps. And I had occasion to think about that message over this weekend. Yeah, it's amazing that uh, Tammy Faye died of colon cancer. Indeed. Uh-huh. And, and here is our chief executive having polyps removed. And I hope somebody out there within the sound of my voice will get a can of spray paint and go right, remove bush, not polyps, even though that might already be too late. So uh, congratulations, everyone. We've survived a weekend of the Cheney presidency. Yeah. It was briefly official. Yeah, a couple hours. It's amazing we didn't uh, start bombing Iran. (laughs) (laughs) And it's important to remember that uh, one of the... Significant events regarding Reagan's uh, <clears throat> incapacitation at the hospital back in the uh, in 1985 was that uh, this is when Reagan quote signed a fi- actually signed a finding um, authorizing Israel to transfer American weapons to the government of Iran, uh, which led to the Iran Contra affair. This is amazing because just recently in testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee regarding the attorney general scandals that we'll just call uh, in general, it appears that Alberto Gonzalez uh, made a trip to bedridden John Ashcroft to get him to sign off on a essentially a uh, national security uh, hanky-panky. We'll just leave it at that. It was basically uh, wiretapping that was going on uh, that some members of the Justice Department, including, amazingly, John Ashcroft, thought were illegal. Yeah, and this is, of course, just yeah. so people re- remember it clearly, when Ashcroft himself was attorney general and Gonzalez was legal counsel for the president. Yeah. So this this tells you where the power... Um, under the Bush administration <clears throat> has been and, and remains, and um, it's somewhat important to pay attention to what goes on when the president goes under the knife. <laughs> Only this apparently <coughs> was a probe. <laughs> a probe that I'm sure <laughs> Alberto Gonzalez is handling with aplomb. Uh Check with a YouTube site near you for uh, results. Um, if not camera shots. <laughs> right. Uh, it's amazing what's on YouTube these days. 
Um, bush, bush tube. <laughs> Uh, indeed. It's a new internet site. It's uh, been erected over the weekend by Alberto Gonzalez, who's um, interested in containing probes. That's right. Into the president's colon. Indeed. Uh, it's one way of distracting attention away from more damaging uh, concerns. Tammy Faye has just put us in such a... A lighthearted mood. Lighthearted mood this evening. Well, and of course, there's big excitement and a lot of. Uh, I'm sure some people are sick of it and dismiss it as media hype, but uh, it, it is worth acknowledging the uh, excitement, uh, not just throughout the publishing industry, but amongst readers, particularly young people around the uh, country and the world, uh, with the exciting conclusion of the Harry Potter series. Um, I. You know, with my family, went to a bookstore on Friday night and took part in some of the uh, festivities, fun games uh-huh. and festivities. And uh, it, you know, whatever you think of the books, whether or not you've read them, it's uh, amazing and quite exciting to me uh, to see that many people excited about books. Yeah, textual matters, print. Um, yeah, the movies are fun. The movies do very well uh, financially. And yes, it's true as some critics have acknowledged. Uh, J.K. Rowling is perhaps. Not a heavyweight writer. Uh, she is writing for young people, after all. It's not, you know, Emily Bronte or Thomas Pynchon or anything like that. But the idea that people are lining up to buy a 700-page book, which they will read to themselves and to their family members, is, I think, one of the most positive things uh that you could imagine Mm -hmm. in the world today. People need to read. Uh, There's a lot of talk about print dying, whether it be newspapers or the traditional literary text. Um, It's good to see uh, young people excited about books. And, uh, you know, if you're reading Harry Potter books at age, you know, 12, 13, 14, etc., then you're going to be able to read Thomas Pynchon someday or Kurt Vonnegut or Noam Chomsky or Hunter Thompson or any of these other great writers with uh, interesting ideas to throw at you. Though, what, what, uh, just a quick aside, what's been a little dismaying is they've actually had a number of stories about kids that only read Harry Potter, and that's it. Yeah. And, and that's sort of sad. And that is sad, and that's where parents need to get involved and to offer, you know, oh, hey, if you like that, you know, you read Tolkien, sure. and then from Tolkien, it's a short jump to actual historical literature. Tolkien's a professor of Anglo-Saxon literature. Beowulf's quite an exciting book that young people can read, and so that's... You're right to point out, you can't just stick with the pulp fiction for young people. You do need to continue and go off that path. And the English, fortunately for Western civilization, have a kind of a cavalcade of great um, imaginative sort of fairy tale, whatever, um, magic sorts of books that uh, are highly recommended to all. Children. C.S. Lewis, Lewis Carroll. C.S. Lewis, Wind in the Willows, Graham. Kenneth Graham. Kenneth Graham. um, Mr. Toad. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. So read books because, I mean, that's essentially what, you know, Dick and I are both uh, big readers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many books you plow through a year. I do uh, a number both in my graduate studies and just for entertainment. And if you're not reading, your mind is atrophying. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And I, of course, probably read a little bit too much nonfiction, but uh, 
Nonfiction keeps you informed. Uh, interesting book. <laughs> Speaking of books, because I average about two a week, so I probably get to about 100 a year. Some of them <laughs> as long as the new Harry Potter uh, book. <laughs> but um, I, I read a book uh, just this past weekend, Poisoned Wells, The Dirty Politics of African Oil. And this is a very oh. interesting book about a journalist who sort of... Uh, connects actually different countries in mainly Western Africa, which is where the oil uh, industry is booming. Places, of course, like Nigeria, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, um, the French Congo, etc., Angola. And I just wanted to read one thing that just uh, I found fascinating. It says in 2005, from the book, this is... Uh, Poisoned Wells, the, the Politics of African Oil by Nicholas Shaxon. And he writes um, <clears throat> early in the book, he says, In 2005, the United States imported more oil from the, this continent, Africa, than it did from the Middle East. And it imported more from the Gulf of Guinea, where the uh, West African coast bends south from Nigeria than it did from Saudi Arabia and Kuwait combined. In less than a decade, this new gulf will provide a quarter of U.S. oil imports, and that by 2008, ExxonMobil will be producing more oil in Angola than it does in the United States. So this is very interesting. This is a region uh, that we need to pay more attention to. Of course, Nigeria is probably the most prominent country in this region in terms of uh, political instability and, of course, American oil companies. And, of course, it's fascinating to learn that during the 1980s, while the Reagan administration was trying to destabilize Angola mm -hmm. through... Uh, Jonas Savimbi's UNITA rebels. What can only be called terrorism. Yeah. Um, supporting terrorism. Um, the, it was the American oil companies that were backing the government of Angola because they don't care as much about uh, propaganda and phony communism. They're more interested in profits and production. Yeah, actually, interestingly, though, as a brilliant political cartoon, I don't know if it was Herblock or whoever, but at that time, uh, Castro had Cuban armed forces in Angola to uh, protect uh, because he supported that government as well. Um, to uh, protect the oil rigs. And so you had U.S.-funded Marxist terrorists, Savimbi, Maoist actually, mm -hmm. um, attacking oil rigs owned and operated by Western oil corporations protected by Cuban military. Yeah. So it was a complete, you know, through the looking glass, yeah. funhouse world of, of Reagan politics. And, of course, it demonstrates how misguided and upside-down our foreign policy has been over the years. And, of course, many of the areas of direct military intervention and uh, coup d'etat-related intervention have occurred in oil-producing regions for obvious reasons. Yeah. And when you learn that ExxonMobil, um, you know, the uh, number one... Uh, Market capitalization in the uh, New York Stock Exchange globally will be producing more oil in Angola just in a couple of years than it does here in the United States. Uh, you get an idea of where the future lies, and it's interesting that there's been comments over the weekend about the uh, 
OPEC leaders trying to bolster production, quote-unquote, so that prices can be reduced uh, because they think that high oil prices have had an impact on the Western economies, i.e. the United States. Hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Needless to say, unfortunately for the people of these regions, uh, the money is often pilfered. And while many of these oil um, oil-producing countries have nationalized their industries, the wealth derived from the oil, unfortunately, does not go to the people. And uh, it, these, these countries, unfortunately, have some of the worst uh, distributions of wealth uh, in the world. And that, of course, is a tragedy. What we need globally, in addition to all the other uh, programs, you know, devoted to AIDS and famine and malaria in the continent of Africa, are real reforms uh, regarding the distribution of these oil revenues uh, in these countries, because... Unfortunately, many of the political leaders have literally pilfered uh, billions of dollars. Nigeria has derived some absolutely incredible numbers, tens, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of oil revenue over the years that seems to be in Swiss bank accounts of various military dictators. Indeed. And the phrase poison in the title of the book there, Poisoned Wells, I'm sure they go into some detail as well about the devastating environmental consequences. Yeah. Uh, Nigeria, again, the most widely documented, people who live in the areas uh, where the refineries are and so forth, just in completely appalling conditions. And it's funny that you should mention this book today. Uh, today's Financial Times has an article uh, entitled China Braves Hostile Terrain for Somalia's Unseen Oil. Just read a couple of short items from this. Uh, the Chinese National Oil Operating Company's willingness to strike an oil deal with the fragile government of Somalia, which has been a failed state for more than a decade, has provided stark evidence of China's willingness to brave terrain that Western oil majors deem too treacherous. Um, uh, several Western oil majors held exploration concessions in Somalia in the 1980s, but fled in 1991 when the overthrow of dictator Mohamed Siad Barra ushered in 16 years of chaos. Um, range resources estimate that this region of Somalia has the potential to yield 5 billion to 10 billion barrels of oil. But the U.S. Energy Administration, uh, Information Administration, says the country has no proved oil reserves and only 200 billion cubic feet of proved natural gas reserves. Well, that could be sour grapes from the U.S. EIA. But uh, China is a growing player on the world energy uh, market, and they're going to be part of this you know, African exploration as well. Well, they certainly are, and one of the interesting anecdotes that Shaxson uh, <clears throat> recounts in the book is who Jintao actually went to... Uh, one of the African countries and promised uh, aid, quote, without strings, huh. uh, just a couple of years ago in a prominent news conference. And it may have actually referred to the Sudan, but I seem to remember it was actually a different country. China is actually conco uh, concocting many, many deals uh, in Africa while the United States' uh, credibility globally is in rapid decline uh, thanks to the fiascos uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Also, interestingly, over the past week, it's now been revealed that Dick Cheney 
had uh, many, many meetings with the oil companies back in 2001. Just a little quick item from a Mother Jones thing about number one page stories. They contrast the Washington Post's coverage of Bill Clinton's Lincoln bedroom sleepovers and donor coffees to Dick Cheney's backroom meetings with polluters, 25 to 12, two to one, roughly. In whose favor? In uh, it, it, more coverage of Dick, of uh, Bill Clinton's ah. bedroom uh, financial shenanigans. But anyway, just this past week, um, it's been revealed for six years, uh, and I'm just quoting from John Broder's article in Thursday's New York Times, the uh, revelations now regarding uh, who Dick Cheney met with in, two th- in May of 2001 has interestingly come out. It says, now thanks to an, an unidentified former White House official who provided the Washington Post a partial list of individuals, companies, and groups that met with the Dick Cheney task force, it's now, um, we're now able to identify some specifics Quote from John Broder, virtually every major oil diversified energy company from BP to Enron to Reliant Energy participated in one or more meetings with the Cheney Group. Trade groups and lobbyists represented industrial utilities and mining companies were also uh, represented at multiple task force sessions. By contrast, the leaders of the 13 environmental groups were invited to a single session late in the process, weeks after most of the industry representatives had been heard. Employees of companies that participated in the deliberations have given millions of dollars to Republican candidates and causes since 1999 and have been among the party's most active campaign donors, according to financial records. And employees of the companies on the energy list contributed more than $570,000 to the Bush-Cheney campaign of 2000 and 2004, according to records. Uh, And, of course, it lists some of the other companies, like, uh, says, among those companies, Ashland Oil, Anadarko, Chevron, and Peabody Energy, the nation's largest coal company, are companies who do not appear on the latest list but acknowledged years ago that they spoke with Dick Cheney. So this is a fascinating example of the close connection between the fossil fuel industry that's been part of the energy policy of the Bush-Cheney administration and the connection with campaign contributions and power. And... uh, and even foreign policy. It's a scandal. Yeah. And, and of course, the foreign policy is part of it as well, yep. because uh, Bush, in his uh, infinite stupidity recently, and we'll just give him a brain damage award quickly, admitted that we're, uh, we're in Iraq because we can't let the oil fall into the hands of the terrorists. Oh, I didn't think we were there for. <laughs> oh, dear. Reasons oh. of oil. Oh, well. How embarrassing. Well, let's see. Um... Something else that's embarrassing. We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. A lot of stuff happening in Pakistan. Keep your eye on Pakistan. Um, 290 people were killed last week in Al-Qaeda-style suicide bombings just this uh, couple days ago. Uh, 
a judge in Pakistan uh, reversed uh, Musharraf's uh, discharge of the justice in question. There have been lots of protests, riots, and all sorts of real instability going on. And we have the what the department head of Homeland Security on Fox television yesterday declaring that we may need to make military strikes into Pakistan. Right. So we'll give her a brain damage award because uh, Frances Townsend is, uh, well, clueless. Because this, this could only exacerbate things. Oh, well, and as much as Bush wants to cling to the Musharraf regime, Musharraf is the head of the military, seized power in a coup in 1999, has promised to have elections later this year um, in which uh, uh, Pakistan People's Party uh, leader Benazir Bhutto is likely to do quite well. She's currently exiled, um, but... Um, there's a lot of questions as to whether or not those uh, elections will, in fact, go off without a hitch. That remains to be seen. Uh, an article in today's Financial Times by Edward Luce, entitled Bush Pays the Price of Pakistan's Help in War on Terror, observes the following. Last week, the Bush administration said it would provide an additional $750 million over the next five years in aid for the combustible tribal agencies, including $300 million to help build a frontier corps to patrol the Pakistan-Afghanistan border. Gee, it would have been nice to have patrolled that border when Osama bin Laden was the uh, number one target of the hunt. Uh, back to the article. The U.S. has provided, however, just $13 million in assistance to Pakistan's election commission. Now, this is uh, these, you know, upcoming $750 million aid over the next five years and $300 million for this Frontier Corps, which are promised. This is on top of $10 billion mm -hmm. that's been given to basically the Pakistani army over the last five or six years. And as Benazir Bhutto pointed out in an article I quoted from a couple of weeks ago, uh, the people of Pakistan haven't seen any of that money. And when Bush administration officials go on record as saying that they may need to make attacks inside Pakistan itself, well, you can imagine the reaction of uh, the people there. Um, wait a minute. I thought we were your ally. And now you're talking about bombing us? Um, just a misplayed, misplayed uh, hand again and again. Yeah, and it's it's a fascinating example of inept foreign policy thinking combined with inept public relations combined with zealotry in the so-called war on terror. Incoherence, I think, is one of the uh, hallmarks of American foreign policy these past 40 years under Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and George Bush II in particular. Um, I'm working on a book. In that regard, uh, fascinating. And, of course, one of the cartoons that I have in the book shows um, Osama bin Laden escaping the Tora Bora region. Uh, and uh, some CIA officials <clears throat> come upon the Osama bin Laden war plan uh, for the uh, Muslim world that includes uh, invading Iraq. And Bush, of course, has shown the document and thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> Bin Laden couldn't have written up a better um, foreign policy agenda that the Bush administration has pursued in the aftermath of 9-11.
And while uh, many people certainly have attributed Osama bin Laden as the intellectual author of 9-11, I've always said, who does he work for? Right. We don't know. Uh, we're just about out of time. I wanted to note that the Mars rover, and I, I love the Mars mission, by the way, Opportunity has been caught in a swirling 